0: From the dark and quiet hallway of the Fay Lower School, One School One Book 2.0 is proud to present Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls, read and produced by Laney Schuster. Chapter 19 Although the winning of the cups and the money was a big event in my life, it didn't change my hunting any. I was out after the ringtails every night. I had been hunting the river bottoms hard for about three weeks. On that night, I decided to go back to the cyclone timber country. I had barely reached the hunting ground when my dogs struck a trail. Old Dan opened up first. They struck the trail on a ridge and then dropped down into a deep canyon, up the other side and broke out into some flats. I could tell that the scent was hot from their steady bawling three times they treed the animal. Every time I came close to the tree the animal would jump and the race would be on and after a while I knew it wasn't a coon. I decided it was a bobcat. I didn't like to have my dogs tree the big cats for their fur wasn't any good and all I could expect was two cut-up hounds. They could kill the largest bobcat in the hills and had on several occasions But to me it was useless. The only good I could see in killing one was getting rid of a vicious predatory animal. The fourth time they treed, they were on top of a mountain. After the long chase, I figured the animal was winded and would stay up in the tree. In a trot, I started to them. As I neared the tree, little (coughs) Ann came to me, reared up, and whined. By her actions, I knew something was wrong. I stopped. In the moonlight, I could see old Dan sitting on his haunches, staring up at the tree and bawling. The tree had lots of dead leaves on it. I knew it was a large white oak because it is one of the last trees in the mountains to lose its leaves. Old Dan kept bawling. Then he did something he'd never done before. For seconds his deep voice was still and silence settled over the mountains. My eyes wandered from the tree to him. His lips were curled back, and he snarled as he stared into the dark foliage of the tree. His teeth gleamed white in the moonlight. The hair on his neck and along his back stood on end. A low, deep, rumbling growl rolled from his throat. I was scared, and I called to him. I wanted to get away from there. Again I called. But it was no use. He wouldn't leave the tree, for in his veins flowed the breeded blood of a hunting hound. In his fighting heart, there was no fear. I set the lantern down and tightened my grip on the handle of the axe. Slowly, I started walking toward him. I thought, if I can get close enough to him, I can grab his collar. I kept my eye on the tree as I edged forward. Little Ann stayed by my side. She, too, was watching the tree. Then I saw them. Two burning yellow eyes staring at me from the shadowy foliage of the tree. I stopped, petrified with fear. The deep baying of old Dan stopped, and again the silence closed in. I stared back at the unblinking eyes. I could make out the bulk of a large animal, crouched on a huge branch close to the trunk of a big tree. Then it moved. I heard the scratch of razor-sharp claws on the bark. It stood up and moved out of the shadows onto the limb. I saw it clearly as it passed between the moon and me. I knew what it was. It was the devil cat of the Ozarks, the mountain lion. The silence was shattered by one long, loud bawl from old Dan. I'd never heard my dog bawl like that. It was different. His voice rang out over the mountains, loud and clear. The vibration of the deep tones rolled in the silence of the frosty night, on and on, out over the flats, down in the canyons, and died away in the rim rocks, like the cry of a lost soul. Old Dan had voiced his challenge to the devil cat. There was a low cough and a deep growl from the lion. I saw him crouch. I knew what was coming. My hands felt hot and sweaty on the smooth ash handle of the axe. With a blood-curdling scream, he sprang from the tree with claws outspread and long yellow fangs bared. Old Dan didn't wait. Rearing up on his hind legs, he met the lion in the air. The heavy weight bowled him over and over. He wound up in a fallen tree top. The impact of the two bodies threw the lion off balance. Little Anne darted in. Her aim was true. I heard the snap of her steel trap jaws as they closed on his throat. With a squall of pain and rage, The big cat rolled over on his side, dragging little Ann with him. His right paw reached out and curved over her shoulder. Sinews tightened and razor-sharp claws dug inward. With a cry of pain, she loosened her hold. I saw the blood squirting from the deep wound in her shoulder. She ignored it and bored back into the fight. Old Dan stunned for an instant from the impact of the lion's body, fought his way from the treetop. bawling the cry of the damned, he charged back in. I went berserk and charged into the fight. There in the flinty hills of the Ozarks, I fought for the lives of my dogs. I fought with the only weapon I had, the sharp cutting blade of a double-bitted axe. Screaming like a madman, with tears rolling down my face, I hacked and chopped at the big, snarling mountain cat. Once, feeling the bite of the sharp blade, the devil cat turned on me. His yellow, slitted eyes burned with hate. The long, lithe body dipped low to the ground. The shoulder muscles nodded and bulged. I tried to jump back, but my foot slipped, and I dropped to my knees. I knew I was trapped. With a terrifying scream, he sprang. I never saw my dogs when they got between the lion and me, but they were there, side by side. They rose up from the ground as one. They sailed straight into those jaws of death, their small red bodies taking the ripping, slashing claws meant for me. I screamed and charged back into the fight, swinging my axe, but I was careful not to hit one of my dogs. The battle raged on and on, down the side of the mountain, over huckleberry bushes, fallen logs, and rocks. It was a rolling, tumbling mass of fighting fury. I was in the middle of it all, falling, screaming, crying, and hacking away at every opportunity. I had cut the big cat several times, blood showed red on the bit of the axe, but as yet I had not gotten in the fatal lick. I knew it had to be soon for my dogs were no match against the razor-sharp claws and the long yellow fangs. The screams of the big cat and the deep bellowing voices of my dogs echoed through the mountains as if the demons of hell had been turned loose. Down, Down the side of the mountain the terrible fight went on, down to the very bottom of the canyon. The big cat had old Dan by the throat I know he was seeking to cut the all-important vein, the jugular. At the pitiful ball of old Dan, little Anne, throwing caution to the wind, ran in and sank her teeth in the lion's tough neck. With her claws digging into the mountain soil, she braced herself and started pulling. The muscles in her small legs nodded and quivered. She was trying hard to pull the devil cat's fangs from the throat of old Dan. In the rays of a bright Ozark moon, I could see see clearly. For an instant, I saw the broad back of the big cat. I saw the knotty bulge of steel-bound muscle, the piston-like jerk of the deadly hind claws, trying for the downward stroke that could disembowel a dog. Raising the axe high over my head, I brought it down with all the strength in my body. My aim was true. Behind the shoulders, in the broad, muscular back, the heavy blade sank with a sickening sound. The keen edge cleaved through the tough skin. It seemed to hiss as it sliced its way through bone and gristle. I left the axe where it was, sunk to the eye and the back of the devil cat. He loosened his hold in the throat of old Dan. With a scream of pain, he reared up on his hind legs and started pawing the air. Little Ann dangled from his neck, still holding on. Her eyes were shut tight and her small feet were digging and clawing at the body. Old Dan, spewing blood from a dozen wounds, leaped high in the air. His long red body sailed in between the outspread paws of the lion. I heard the snap of his powerful jaws as they closed on the throat. The big cat screamed again. Blood gurgled and sprayed. In a bright red mist, it rained out over the underbrush and rattled like sleet on the white oak leaves. In a boxer's trance, he stood and clawed the air. His slitted eyes turned green with hate. He seemed to be unaware of the two hounds hanging from his body and kept staring at me. I stood in a trance and stared back at the ghastly scene. The breath of life was slowly leaving him. He was dying on his feet but refusing to go down. My axe handle stuck straight out from his back. Blood, gushing from the mortal wound, glistened in the moonlight. A shudder ran through his body. He tried once again to scream, blood curdled in his throat. It was the end of the trail for the scourge of the mountains. No more would he scream his challenge from the rim rocks to the valley below. The small, harmless calves and the young colts would be safe from his silent stalk. He fell toward me. It seemed that with his last effort he was still trying to get at me. As his heavy body struck the ground, something exploded in my head. I knew no more. When I came to, I was sitting down. It was silent and still. A bird, disturbed by the fight, started chirping far up on the side of the mountain. A small winter breeze rustled some dead leaves in the deep canyon. A cold, crawling chill crept over my body. I looked over at the lion. My dogs were still glued to his lifeless body. In his dying convulsions, the axe had become dislodged from the wound. It lay there in the moonlight, covered with blood. My numb brain started working. I thought of another time the axe had been covered with blood. I don't know why I thought of Reuben Pritchard at that time, or why I thought of these words I had often heard. There is a little good in all evil." I got to my feet and went over to my dogs. I knew I had to inspect them to see how badly they were hurt. It wasn't too hard to get little Land to loosen her hold. I examined her body. She was cut in several places, but nothing fatal. The only bad wound she had was in her shoulder. It was nine inches long and down to the clean white bone. She started licking it immediately. It was different with old Dan. Try as I might, he wouldn't turn loose. Maybe he could remember the night in the cave when he was a pup, how the big cat had screamed and how he had bawled back at him. I took hold of his hind legs and tried to pull him loose. It was no use. He knew that the hold he had was a deadly one and he wasn't going to let go. I tried to tell him it was all over, that the lion was dead, to turn him loose as I wanted to see how badly he was hurt. He couldn't understand and wouldn't even open his eyes. He was determined to hold on until the body turned cold and stiff. With my axe handle, I pried apart his locked jaws. Holding on to his collar, I let him off to one side. I couldn't turn him loose as I knew if I did, he'd go back to the lion. With one hand, I started examining him. I ran my fingers through the short red hair. I could feel the quivering muscles and the hot, sweaty skin. He was a bloody mess. His long, velvety ears were shredded. His entire body was a mass of deep, raw, red wounds. On both sides of his rib carriage, the sharp claws had laid the flesh open to the bone. His friendly old face was pitiful to see. A razor-sharp claw had ripped down on an angle across his right eye. It was swollen shut. I wondered if he would ever see from that eye again. Blood dripped from his wounds and fell on the white oak leaves. I saw he was bleeding to death. With tears running down my cheeks, I did the only thing a hunter could do. I raked the leaves away and let his blood drip on the black mountain soil. Mixing it into mud, I worked it into his wounds to stop the flow of blood. With my axe in one hand and holding on to his collar with the other, we climbed out of the canyon. I knew if I could get him far enough away from the lion, he wouldn't go back. On reaching the top, I saw the yellow glow of my lantern. I turned old Dan loose and walked over and picked it up. Not knowing exactly where I was, I looked down out of the mountains to get my bearings. Beyond the foothills and fields, I could see the long, white, crooked line of stream marking the river's course. Following the snake-like pattern with my eyes, in no time, I knew exactly where I was, for I knew every bend in the river. Anxious to get home so I could take care of my dogs, I turned to call to them. Little Ann was close by. She was sitting down, looking at the wound in her shoulder. I saw the shadowy form of old Dan, sniffing around the tree where the lion had been treed. As I stood and watched him in the moonlight, my heart swelled with pride. Wounded though he was, he wanted to make sure there were no more lions around. I called to him. In a stiff-legged trot, he came to me. I caught hold of his shoulder and gave him another inspection. In the lantern light, I could see the mud-cake wounds clearly. The bleeding had almost stopped. I felt much better. Little Ann came over. I knelt down and put my arms around them. I knew that if it hadn't been for their loyalty and unselfish courage, I would probably have been killed by that slashing claws of the devil cat. I don't know how I'll ever pay you back for what you've done, I said, but I'll never forget it. Getting up, I said, come on, let's go home so I can take care of those wounds. I hadn't gone far when I heard a cry. At first, I thought it was a bird or a nighthawk. I stood still and listened. I glanced at little Ann. She was looking behind me. I turned around and looked for old Dan. He was nowhere in sight. The cry came again, low and pitiful. Instantly, little Ann started back the way we'd come. I followed as fast as I could run. I found old Dan lying on his side, pleading for help. What I saw was almost more than I could stand. There tangled in the low branches of a huckleberry bush were the entrails of my dog. With a gasping cry, I knelt down by his side. I knew what had happened. Far back in the soft belly, the slashing, razor-sharp claws of the lion had cut into the hollow. In my inspections, I'd overlooked the wound. His entrails had worked out and had become entangled in the bush. The forward motion of his body had done the rest. He whimpered as I laid my hand on his head. A warm red tongue flicked out at it. With tears in my eyes, I started talking to him. Hang on, boy, I said, everything will be all right, I'll take care of you. With trembling hands, I unwound the entrails from the bush. With my handkerchief, I wiped away the gravel, leaves, and pine needles. With fingers that shook, I worked the entrails back into the wound. Knowing that I couldn't carry him and the axe and the lantern, I stuck the axe deep in the side of a white oak tree. I blew out the the lantern and hung the handle over the blade. I wrapped my dog in my old sheepskin coat and hurried for home. Arriving home, I awakened my mother and father. Together we doctored my dogs. Old Dan was taken care of first. Very gently. Mama worked the entrails out and in a pan of warm soapy water, washed them clean with the pine needles, leaves, and grit. If only I knew what I was doing, Mama said as she worked, I'd feel better. With gentle hands, she worked the entrails back through the opening. The wound was sewn up and bandaged with a clean white cloth. Little Ann wasn't hard to doctor, I held her head while Mama cleaned her wounds with peroxide. Feeling the bite of the strong liquid, she whined and licked at my hands. It's all right, little girl, I said. You'll be fine in no time. I opened the door and watched her as she limped off to the doghouse. Hearing a whimper, I turned around. There there in the doorway to the room stood my sisters. I could tell by the looks on their faces that they had been watching for some time. They looked pitiful standing there, in their long white gowns. I felt sorry for them. Would little Anne be all right? My oldest sister asked. Yes, I said, she'll be all right. She only had one bad wound and we've taken care of that. Old Dan's hurt bad, isn't he, she said. I nodded my head. How bad is it, she asked. It's bad, I said. He was cut wide open. They all started crying. Now here, Mama said, going over, you girls get back in bed. You'll take a death of cold being up like this in your bare feet. Mommy, the little one said, God won't let old Dan die, will he? I don't think so, honey, Mama said. Now off to bed. They turned and walked slowly back to their room. The way your dogs are cut up, Papa said, it must have been a terrible fight. It was, Papa, I said. I never saw anything like it. Little Ann wouldn't have fought the lion if it hadn't been for old Dan. All she was doing was helping him. He wouldn't quit. He just stayed right in there till the end. I even had to pry his jaws loose from the lion's throat after the lion was dead. Glancing at old Dan, Papa said, It's in his blood, Billy. He's a hunting hound and the best one I ever saw. He he only has two loves, you and hunting. That's all he knows. If it hadn't been for them, Papa, I said, I probably wouldn't be here now. What do you mean, Mama said, you wouldn't be here now? I told them how the lion had leaped at me and how my dogs had gotten between him and me. They were so close together, I said, when they came up off the ground. They looked just like one. There was a moaning sigh from Mama. She covered her face with her hands and started crying. I don't know, she sobbed. I just don't know. To think how close you came to being killed. I don't think I can stand any more." Now, now, Papa said as he walked over and put his arms around her. Don't go all to pieces. It's all over. Let's be thankful and do our best for old Dan. Do you think he'll die, Papa, I asked. I don't know, Billy, Papa said, shaking his head. He's lost an awful lot of blood, and he's a mighty sick dog. All we can do now is wait and see. Our wait wasn't long. My dog's breathing grew faster and faster, and there was a terrible rattling in his throat. I knelt down and laid his head in my lap. Old Dan must have known he was dying. Just before he drew his last breath, he opened his eyes and looked at me. Then with one last sigh and a feeble thump of his tail, his friendly gray eyes closed forever. At first, I couldn't believe my dog was dead. I started talking to him. Please don't die, Dan. I said, please don't leave me now. I looked to Mama for help. Her face was as white as the bark on a sycamore tree, and the hurt in her eyes tore at my heart. She opened her mouth to say something, <clears throat> but words wouldn't come out. Feeling as cold as an arctic wind, I got up and stumbled to a chair. Mama came over and said something. Her words were only a murmur in my ears. Very gently, Papa picked old Dan up in his arms and carried him out on the porch. When he came back in the house, he said, Well, we did all we could do, and I guess it just wasn't enough. I'd never seen my mother and father look so tired and weary as they did on that night. I knew they wanted to comfort me, but didn't know what to say. Papa tried. Billy, he said, I wouldn't think too much about this if I were you. It's not good to hurt like that. I believe I'd just try to forget it. Besides, you still have little Anne. I wasn't even thinking about little Anne at that moment. I knew she was all right. I'm thankful that I still have her, I said. But how can I forget old Dan? He gave his life for me, and that's what he did. Just laid down his life for me. How can I ever forget something like that? Mama said, It's been a terrible night for all of us. Let's go to bed and try to get some rest. Maybe we'll all feel better tomorrow. No, Mama, I said. You and Papa go on to bed. I think I'll stay up for a while. I couldn't sleep anyway. Mama started to protest, but Papa shook his head. Arm in arm, they walked from the room. Long after my mother and father had retired, I sat by the fire, trying to think, and couldn't. I felt numb all over. I knew my dog was dead, but I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to. One day, they were both alive and happy. Then that night, just like that, one of them was dead. I didn't know how long I'd been sitting there when I heard a noise out on the porch. I got up walked over over to the door and listened. It came again, a low whimper and a scratchy sound. I could think of only one thing that could have made the noise. It had to be my dog. He wasn't dead, he'd come back to life. With a pounding heart, I opened the door and stepped out on the porch. What I saw was more than I could stand. The noise I had heard had been made by little Anne. All her life, she had slept by old Dan's side. And although he was dead, she had left the doghouse and come back to the porch and snuggled up close to his side. She looked up at me and whimpered. I couldn't stand it. I didn't know I was running until I tripped and fell. I got to my feet and ran on and on. Dawn through our fields of shocked, shucked corn until I fell face down on the river's bank. There in the gray shadows of a breaking dawn, I cried until I could cry no more. The churning of gray squirrels in the bright morning sun told me it was daylight. I got to my feet and walked back to the house. Coming up through our barn lot, I saw my father feeding our stock. He came over and said, Breakfast is about ready. I don't want any breakfast, Papa, I said. I'm not hungry, and I have a job to do. I have to bury my dog. I'll tell you what, he said. I'm not going to be very busy today, so let's have a good breakfast, and then I'll help you. No, Papa, I said. I'll take care of it. You go and eat breakfast. Tell Mamma I'm not hungry. I saw a hurt look in my father's eyes. Shaking his head, He turned and walked away. From rough pine slabs, I made a box for my dog. It was a crude box, but it was the best I could do. With strips of burlap and corn shucks, I padded the inside. Up on the hillside, at the foot of a beautiful red oak tree, I dug his grave. There where the wild mountain flowers would grow in the spring, I laid him away. I had a purpose in burying my dog up there on the hillside. It was a beautiful spot. From there one could see the country for miles, the long, white, crooked line of the river, the tall, thick timber of the bottoms, the sycamore, birch, and box elder. I thought perhaps that on moonlight nights old Dan would be able to hear the deep voices of the hounds as they rolled out of the river bottoms on the frosty air. After the last shovel of dirt was patted in place, I sat down and let my mind drift back through the years. I thought of the old Casey baking powder can, and the first time I saw my pups in the box at the depot. I thought of the fifty dollars, the nickels and dimes, and the fishermen and blackberry patches. I looked at his grave and with tears in my eyes I voiced these words. You were worth it, old friend, and a thousand times over. In my heart, I knew that there in the grave lay a man's best friend. Two days later, when I came in from the bottoms where my father and I were clearing land, my mother said, Billy, you'd better look after your dog. She won't eat. I started looking for her. I went to the barn, the corn crib, and looked under the porch. I called her name. It was no use. I rounded up my sisters and asked if they'd seen little Ann. The youngest one said she'd seen her go down into the garden. I went there, calling her name. She wouldn't answer my call. I was about to give up, and then I saw her. She had wiggled her way far back under the thorny limbs of a blackberry bush in the corner of the garden. I talked to her and tried to coax her out. She wouldn't budge. I got down on my knees and crawled back to her, as I did, She raised her head and looked at me. Her eyes told the story. They weren't the soft gray eyes I had looked into so many times. They were dull and cloudy. There was no fire, no life. I couldn't understand. I carried her back to the house. I offered her food and water. She wouldn't touch it. I noticed how lifeless she was. I thought perhaps she had a wound I'd overlooked. I felt and probed with my fingers. I could find nothing. My father came and looked at her. He shook his head and said, Billy, it's no use. The life has gone out of her. She has no will to live. He turned and walked away. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. With eggs and rich cream, I made a liquid. I pried her mouth open and poured it down. She responded to nothing I did. I carried her to the porch and laid her in the same place I had laid the body of old Dan. I covered her with gunny sacks. All through the night I would get up and check on her. Next morning I took warm fresh milk and again I opened her mouth and fed her. It was a miserable day for me. At noon it was the same. My dog had just given up. There was no will to live. That evening, when I came in from the fields, she was gone. I hurried to my mother. Mama told me she'd seen her go up in the hollow from the house, so weak she could hardly stand. Mama had watched her until she disappeared in the timber. I hurried up the hollow, calling her name. I called and called. I went up to the head of it, still calling her name and praying she would come to me. I climbed out onto the flats, looking, searching, and calling. It was no use. My dog was gone. I had a thought, a ray of hope. I just knew I'd find her at the grave of old Dan. I hurried there. I found her lying on her stomach, her hind legs stretched out straight, and her front feet folded back under her chest. She had laid her head on his grave, I saw the trail where she had dragged herself through the leaves. The way she lay there, I thought she was alive. I called her name. She made no movement. With the last ounce of strength in her body, she had dragged herself to the grave of old Dan. Kneeling down by her side, I reached out and touched her. There was no response, no whimpering cry or friendly wag of her tail. My little dog was dead. I laid her head in my lap and with tear-filled eyes gazed up into the heavens. In a choking voice I asked, Why did they have to die? Why must I hurt so? What have I done wrong? I heard a voice behind me. It was my mother. She sat down and put her arms around me. You've done no wrong, Billy, she said. I know this seems terrible. And I know how it hurts, but at one time or another everyone suffers. Even the good Lord suffered while he was here on earth. I know, Mama, I said, but I can't understand. It was bad enough when old Dan died. Now little Anne is gone. Both of them gone, just like that. Billy, you haven't lost your dogs altogether, Mama said. You'll always have their memory. Besides, you can have some more dogs, I rebelled at this. I don't want any more dogs, I said. I won't ever want another dog. They won't be like old Dan and little Ann. We all feel that way, Billy, she said. I do especially. They fulfilled a prayer that I thought would never be answered. I don't believe in prayers anymore, I said. I prayed for my dogs, and now look, both of them are dead. Mama was silent for a moment. Then in a gentle voice, she said, Billy, Sometimes it's hard to believe that things like this can happen, but there's always an answer. When you're older, you understand better. No, I won't, I said. I don't care if I'm a hundred years old. I'll never understand why my dogs had to die. As if she were talking to someone far away, I heard her say in a low voice, I don't know what to say. I can't seem to find the right words. Looking up to her face, I saw that her eyes were flooded with tears. Mama, please don't cry, I said. I didn't mean what I said. I know you didn't, she said, as she squeezed me up tight. It's just your way of fighting back. I heard the voice of my father calling to us from the house. Come now, mamma said. I have supper ready, and your father wants to talk to you. I think when you've heard what he has to say, you'll feel better. I can't leave little Anne like this, Mama, I said. It'll be cold tonight. I think I'll carry her back to the house. No, I don't think you should do that, Mama said. Your sisters would go all to pieces. Let's make her comfortable here. Breaking some dead leaves into a pile, we picked little Anne up and laid her in them. Taking off my coat, I spread it over her body. I dreaded to think of what I had to do in the morrow. My father and sisters were waiting for us on the porch. Mama told them the sad story. My sisters broke down and started crying. They ran to Mama and buried their faces in her long cotton dress. Papa came over and laid his hand on my shoulder. Billy, he said, there are times in a boy's life when he has to stand up like a man, and this is one of those times. I know what you're going through and how it hurts, but there's always an answer. The good Lord has a reason for everything he does. There couldn't be any reason for my dogs to die, Papa, I said. There just couldn't. They hadn't done anything wrong. Papa glanced at Mama. Getting no help from her, he said. It's getting cold out here. Let's go in the house. I have something to show you. Guess what we're having for supper, Mama said as we turned to enter the house. Your favorite, Billy. Sweet potato pie. You'll like that, won't you? I nodded my head, but my heart wasn't in it. Papa didn't follow us us into the kitchen. He turned and entered his bedroom. When he came into the room, he had a small shoe box in his hand. I recognized the box by the bright blue ribbon tied around it. Mama kept her valuables in it. A silence settled over the room. Walking to the head of the table, Papa sat the box down and started untying the ribbon. His hands were trembling as he fumbled with a knot. With the lid off, he reached in and started lifting out bundles of money. After stacking them in a neat pile, he raised his head and looked straight at me. Billy, he said, you know how your mother has prayed that someday we'd have enough money to move out of these hills and into town so that you children could get an education. I nodded my head. Well, he said in a low voice, because of your dogs, Her prayers have been answered. This is the money earned by old Dan and little Ann. I've managed to make the farm feed us and clothe us, and I've saved every cent your furs brought in. We now have enough. Isn't it wonderful, Mama said? It's just like a miracle. I think it is a miracle, Papa said. Remember, Billy said a prayer when he asked for his pups, and then there were your prayers. Billy got his pups. Through those dogs, your prayers were answered. Yes, I'm sure it is a miracle. If he gave them to me, then why did he take them away? I asked. I think there's an answer for that too, Papa said. You see, Billy, your mother and I decided not to separate you from your dogs. We knew how much you loved them. We decided that when we moved to town, we'd leave you here with your grandpa for a while. He needs help anyway. But... I guess the good Lord didn't want that to happen. He doesn't like to see families split up. That's why they were taken away. I knew my father was a firm believer in fate. To him, everything that happened was the will of God. And in his Bible, he could always find the answers. Papa could see that his talk had very little effect on me. With a sorrowful look on his face, he sat down and said, now let, up, let us give thanks for our food and for all the wonderful things God has done for us. I'll say a special prayer and ask him to help Billy. I barely heard what Papa had to say. During the meal, I could tell that no one was enjoying the food. As soon as it was over, I went to my room and lay down on the bed. Mama came in. Why don't you go to bed, she said, and get a good night's sleep. You'll feel better tomorrow no i won't mama i said i'll have to bury little ann tomorrow i know she said as she turned my covers down i'll help if you want me to no mama i said i don't want anyone to help i'd rather do it all by myself billy you're always doing things by yourself mama said that's not right everyone needs help sometime in his life i know mama i said but please not this time ever since my dogs were puppies We've always been together, just us three. We hunted together and played together. We even went swimming together. Did you know, Mama, that little Ann used to come every night and peek in my window just to see if I was all right? I guess that's why I want to be by myself when I bury her. Now say your prayers and go to sleep. I'm sure you'll feel better in the morning. I didn't feel like saying any prayers that night. I was hurting too much. Long after the rest of the family had gone to bed, I lay staring into the darkness, trying to think, and not able to. Sometime in the night I got up, tiptoed to my window, and looked out at my doghouse. It looked so lonely and empty sitting there in the moonlight. I could see that the door was slightly ajar. I thought of the many times I'd lain in my bed and listened to the squeaking of the door as my dogs went in and out. I didn't know I was crying until I felt the tears roll down my cheeks. Mama must have heard me get up. She came in and put her arms around me. Billy, she said in a quavering voice, you'll just have to stop this. You're going to make yourself sick, and I don't think I can stand any more of it. I can't, Mama, I said. It hurts so much. I just can't. I don't want you to feel bad because I do. I can't help it, Billy, she said. Come now, and get back in bed. I'm afraid you'll catch cold. After she had tucked me in, she sat on the bed for a while. As if she were talking to the darkness, Darkness, I heard her say, if only there were some way I could help, something I could do. No one can help, Mamma," I said. No one can bring my dogs back. I know, she said, as she got up to leave the room. But there must be something. There just has to be. After Mama had left the room, I buried my face in my pillow and cried myself to sleep. The next morning, I made another box. It was smaller than the first one. Each nail I drove in the rough pine boards caused the knot in my throat to get bigger and bigger. My sisters came to help. They stood it for a while then, with tears streaming, they ran for the house. I buried little Ann by the side of old Dan. I knew that was where she wanted to be. I also buried a part of my life along with my dog. Remembering a sandstone ledge I had seen while prowling the woods, I went there. I picked out a nice stone and carried it back to the graves. Then, with painstaking care, I carved their names deep in its red surface. As I stood looking at the two graves, I tried hard to understand some of the things my father had told me but I couldn't. I was still hurting and still had that empty feeling. I went to Mama and had a talk with her. Mama, I asked, do you think God made a heaven for all good dogs? Yes, she said, I'm sure he did. Do you think he made a place for dogs to hunt? You know, just like we have on our place with mountains and sycamore trees, rivers and cornfields and old rail fences, do you think he did? From what I've read in the good book, Billy, she said, he put far more things up there than we have here. Yes, I'm sure he did. I was thinking this over when Mama came up to me and started tucking my shirt in. Do you feel better now, she asked. It still hurts, Mama, I said, as I buried my face in her dress. But I do feel a little better. I'm glad, she said as she patted my head. I don't like to see my little boy hurt like this. Join me for the last episode of Where the Red Fern Grows.